you'll turn your Bibles, well, first of all, before we get into that, I want to add my welcome to Pastor Leachman's, to each one, to our guests as well. It's good to have you here this morning. Turn our Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And since we don't have any catastrophic events today, like last Sunday, it's going to feel kind of normal. We're going to go ahead and read beginning verse 1. We're going to read the entirety of the chapter. Last week we read 1 through 3 or 4 and then jumped to verse 18. We want to really handle the intermediate verses, but to make sure we sustain touch with the context, we're going to read the entirety of the chapter. I'll bring out the New King James Version, as is our custom. God's Word says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Apollos, I'm sorry. For when one says, I am of Paul, And another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If any among, anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about foundations and building what the foundation of 
is, what the foundation of the Christian life is, what the foundation of our salvation is, and is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we lay that foundation, and Paul's done that very carefully. He's not alone in doing that, and he communicates that very clearly, that he is simply one of those that God has chosen to use to lay down such a foundation uh, that Jesus Christ came. He has now invested that message of reconciliation into his ministers. And when we use the term ministers, we usually think of professional clergy, um, and that's too bad because that's not what the Bible refers to, and that's not what it's uh, referring or mentioning. It talks about each of us being ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, ministers of reconciliation. And that is that is the means by which God has determined that Jesus Christ be established um, in the, at least in the audience of men, if not in their hearts, that at least by that declaration of Christ and Christ alone that we just sang a little bit ago, um, that that would be the foundation of the Christian walk. We've established that very firmly in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. We've talked also, chapter 1, and then we've talked about the, uh, going on to maturity, that Paul wants to now teach further in the area of maturity that there is more to just the salvific message of Christ. There is the wisdom of God in Christ as well. That it is, you cannot acquire that or access that. You cannot grasp it without God's help in the person and work of Holy Spirit. And so we find that the foundation we lay is Christ. We are building on that to maturity, and that's his goal with the Corinthian people, although he's frustrated in that goal. And he communicates that right away here when he says, you know what, I've wanted to teach you some mature things, and I've wanted to get you out of milk and into solid food, but every time I'm ready to do that, you're not ready because you haven't taken into your life the foundational elements of our faith. And until you are willing to... Um, walk in your salvation a few steps of obedience then there's really no maturing that's going to really go on and so remember we talked about that the natural man is unable to receive the wisdom of god and so we speak to them christ in christ alone that that until they receive and accept that message they cannot move forward and I say, well, if the natural man can't receive the wisdom of God, then how can they receive Christ? Um, and then again, the Holy Spirit's work is to convict men of sin and righteousness and of judgment, uh, convict the world, it says in John, of that, that everyone has that opportunity to respond by faith to God. And that is not a work, that is not a, receiving a gift is not, uh, an exercise that we take glory in is not an exercise that we can say, I earned this. Uh, rather, it is an act of humility whereby we accept something that we could not earn, we did not deserve, and simply receive it from his hand. And so God says, until that happens in your life, um, we cannot really engage you in the deeper and broader truths of Scripture. But once you've accepted Christ your Savior, God's expectation is that you will begin a path of maturity. And that path is going to require something of you, and that is that as you encounter spiritual truth, you're going to respond by faith 
obeying that truth, bring it into your life, and conform yourself to Jesus Christ more and more. When that process gets interrupted or stalled, your maturation, your maturing in Christ, stops. And I would contend it doesn't just coast to a stop, that it comes to a screeching stop and maybe even falls back a little bit down that hill. Because the gravity of the world that we live in and the world that surrounds us is going to pull us back into sin. It's going to pull us back into our old ways that we are comfortable with, um, that we were engaged in before we came to know Christ. And so the Corinthians here are believers. They have uh, laid that first foundation. They have received Christ their Savior, but they haven't proceeded in that far enough. In fact, very little evidence that they've proceeded anywhere. Paul talks about their carnality. We studied that last week of what does it look like to be a carnal Christian and what does it mean to be in sin, uh, to have no discernment, to not be righteous evident in your life. And so Paul has identified the main problem there, but now he's going to give them a little teaching about how they got off track. How did we get to the point that we are not maturing? Um, Is it our teacher's fault? And that's where most churches tend to go is, well, if we're not growing, it's our teacher's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's my Sunday school teacher's fault. Um, It's their fault. And Paul's going to give, really for him, a lengthy discourse on what is what they have been privileged to have been recipients of in terms of ministry um, and also some of caution of when is it the pastor's fault? When is our teacher responsible? When do we identify them and need to remove them, uh, not only from this church but from that whole ministry of teaching God's Word or preaching it? And this we're going to investigate this morning with God's help. Let's pray before we get into our text. Lord God, would you thank you? for your love for us and your word before us, your spirit within us, your people around us. We thank you for the opportunity we have here uh, for the next 40 minutes or so to look into your word. Uh, Lord, help us to be careful. Guard this time from men's opinions, from the world's ideas, from the philosophies of this age, where we want to know your truth. We have it here before us. We have your spirit within us to guide us into that truth. And Lord, we submit ourselves to you. And pray that you might have the preeminence here. Again, Lord, we want to be mature and maturing in our faith. We see the demands that are upon us and we know that we're not really fully up to that either. And we need your help, but you have provided it. Lord, help us be responsive people to you today. That as you convict, that we might repent, confess. That as you challenge us, that we might stand and determine to follow you. That as you encourage us, that we might take heart and be bold in our Christian life. Lord, as always, we pray for your help and the understanding of your word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, 
lest any of the Corinthians start to having been chastised for their immaturity, for their carnality, turn and say, well, you know, that's your fault. You should have taught us better. Paul is going to take them to task a little bit by explaining to them exactly what was going on and how they perverted what was happening instead of allowing it what what God had put in their midst to, to allow it to mature them, uh, that rather they had used it and abused their teaching to the point of not only encouraging sin in themselves but and tolerating it in the world or in their peripheral, but even exalting it in their church. That it was the proof that they were uh, free and that they were libertines. And, and so uh, the freedom in Christ is what they wanted to explore instead of the uh, faithful following after the freedom to serve Christ, the freedom to live for Christ, the freedom to be righteous. You've already had liberty to sin, and now it's time to discover and explore the liberty that God's love has brought in your life. But before he's going to press into that, he wants to address the first evidence, again, of their immaturity in the faith, their carnality. And again, we typically think a carnal Christian is one that's out there living immorally. And that wasn't in the list, was it? We find strife, envy, divisions. Those are evidences of carnality. That is, you're living in the old man still. You're living in the natural man. You're living in the flesh. You're after your own interests. And this whole idea that I'm going to stand and say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos, uh, was simply them exalting themselves that somehow um, I have a right to demand this division and even to incite envy in others to produce strife by claiming uh, that I'm a follower, I'm a disciple of Paul while you're a disciple of Apollos. And in so doing, they have brought division in the church and they have stifled their maturity. Fascinating, isn't it? Because their claim would seem to imply that because they're a disciple of Paul, that, oh, I am very spiritual. I'm following Paul. I'm very spiritual. I'm following Apollos. These are all great men of God. I'm more spiritual than you are. I follow Peter. We all know that Peter was right there with Jesus, Apollos and Paul, not so much. But Peter was right there. I'm following. And then, of course, the really spiritual people. I'm of Jesus. And Paul even takes them to task because they weren't saying this to seek to um, uh, truly be disciples and to follow what those men taught, but they are saying it to create strife and envy within the church. Uh, For the fact is, is that none of them in any of those camps were really following the teaching of those men. If they were... If they really were following what Paul taught and obeying what he taught, guess what? They would be following Christ fine. They would be obedient to God's word. They would be maturing. They would be humbling themselves before God. They would be seeking after righteousness. They would be living out Paul's statement that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's what they would, would look like if they were really a disciple of Paul. 
if they're really a disciple of any of these men who taught God's truth and lived it before them, who pointed people to Christ, including Jesus himself, uh, they would certainly not behave in this manner, but they would be maturing believers. So Paul has to step back and says, okay, you have elevated the, our names. You've made them mean something that they shouldn't ever mean. And I would contend that's still the case today. And so he's going to give us a right view of the servants of God. We do not blame them for our immaturity, nor do we depend upon them for our maturation. They have a role to play, yes. But ultimately, um, we are responsible before God, even as the teachers have a higher responsibility even before God for what they teach. Um, We're going to find out that Paul has a very different view than most American Christians And that is that he doesn't view you as passive. He thinks you should be actively involved in your Christian life. That it's not my job. It's my job to communicate to you God's word, even as it was Apollos' job and Peter's job and Paul's job. But uh, from there, what you do with it is your responsibility. And in fact, not only are you responsible for what you've been taught and how you have uh, whether you've obeyed it or not, but you're even responsible to discern what has been taught, to be able to distinguish it, to look into scriptures yourself, to see if what you've been taught is true. And so the idea that you're allowed by God's word to sit back and say, well, I'm not a pastor or teacher, and so if I'm led astray, it's his fault. Well, the Bible makes it very clear that you have responsibility to know God's word, You are a priest before God as a believer. You have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You have no more or less advantage than I have to gain access to God's truth, to his wisdom. And so we are not passive recipients, but we're rather active uh, involvers in in the um, work of maturation. So let's look at what is my responsibility? What is the responsibility of our Sunday school teachers, of our word life coaches in, in communicating God's truth? And let's look at Paul's declaration here in verse 5. It says, Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers, through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? A great question. Who are we? We are the servants. And the word minister simply means we are the servants. We're the servants that God used to bring you to Christ. And that's it. That's all we are. We are not communicating our own wisdom. We are not coming up with and, and with our own theologies. And this is very important for us to understand because I have books in my library that talk about the Pauline theology, the Johannian theology. And we have these guys that are breaking down theology and they're just as immature as the Corinthians. There is no distinguishment between Peter's Petrine theology, Pauline theology, and Johannian theology. They're the same. They're all Christ. They have different style of communication, but their theology isn't different. And so don't think this is just yesterday's work, uh, that this happened in Corinth doesn't happen today. It does. And just walk, peruse my library a little bit, and you'll see it. If you read many of these High level, um, I have to say high level, but they're not, they're low level. Um, <laughs> theologians who want to break it out that way and say, you know, 
the doctrine of God according to Paul, according to John, according to Peter, according to James, according to Matthew, according to Mark. Um, they're as immature as the Corinthians. Paul says, listen, we're just ministers. We are the voice pieces. That's, that's as far as it goes. We are ministers. Um, yes, uh, we have, our ministry has been to you and you've been the recipients of that. We don't doubt that as through, uh, our ministry that you believed. Um, but it was the Lord that gave it to you. That is that, that, uh, whether it was us or someone else, how the Lord brought the message to you, um, you don't glorify the messenger, you glorify that message, that person, Jesus Christ. Um, whether God gave you Apollos or God gave you Paul, whoever God gave you to bring to you the message and the truth of God's word, as, uh, we don't magnify the man, we magnify that message. We evaluate the message and we say, is this truth? And once we discern its truth, we are called upon to be leave it, to obey it, to follow it, to respond. So Paul says, we're the ministers. That's all we are. Yes, there was a chronology involved. Verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered. We each had our role. And the roles were different. They were distinguishable. Paul says, there, there was a difference. I, 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 had a, I have a different kind of ministry than Paul's ministry, but the message was the same. And that is, here's the truth of God's word. I was first. I showed up first and I planted it. Apollo showed up on my heels and he watered it. Um, but does that mean that I'm greater than Apollos or that Apollos is greater than me because a lot of fruit came under Apollos' ministry because of watering? If you don't believe me, try planting something and never water it. Here in New Mexico, what happens? Doesn't take long. It's fried. Okay? So it's not that, but try watering something where there's no seeds. Where no plant is occurring. You see how they're, they're, they're both necessary. And it's not that, that one is more important than the other one. They are both vital. So Paul plants, Apollos waters. Okay, we, that was their job. But you know what? Water doesn't give life. The seed, can die before it ever comes to life. Mean, it's not going to come to life. So who's giving it life? Who's the author of life? God who gives the increase. Paul can't make that seed come to life. He cannot do it. He cannot give eternal life. And, and Apollos can teach till he's blue in the face and he cannot increase your faith. He cannot cause you to believe. There's no man who can do it. He cannot bring you to salvific faith. He can give you the truth. He can communicate to you your sin and your need for a Savior. He, and just as I can, just as you can do that with others, and we can communicate, communicate, but we cannot convict men of sin and of righteousness of judgment. We are not the authors of our faith. And yes, I believe all men have faith. Everyone's trusting in something or someone. Uh, what God wants you to do is direct faith. He has already instilled it in you. The capacity to believe is instilled in you. And now he calls upon you to direct it to his son, Jesus Christ, instead of trusting in yourself or trusting in a rock or trusting in a bank account or trusting in a politician or whatever it is people trust in. Trust in God. So God gives the increase. It's to God's glory when we receive him and it is 
God's work of saving us. We do not pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, and spiritually. You can't do it physically either. Try it. Can't do it. But spiritually, you can't do that. We are dependent creatures upon, a, a sinful creatures dependent upon a holy, holy, holy God to come alongside us in His love and deliver us. Do these agents of God have a role? Yes. Is it important? Yes. But a true agent of God has no interest in receiving glory for himself. Because he knows, in his heart of heart, he knows, I can do nothing. And if you don't think that's true, you should try being a pastor for a little while. And in our in our thing yesterday, our pastors uh, all in the room went around the room. And we were to introduce ourselves, church we were at. And then um, the most horrible thing. He said, a struggle in the ministry you're encountering this past year and a blessing in the ministry you're encountering this past year. Okay? Um, I think almost to a man, there might have been three or four, I was one of my, I didn't say I was, discouragement. Discouragement. Why? Because I can teach it, I can preach it, I can preach it and teach it till I'm green, and I can't make a one of you obey it. And that is very frustrating. I think that's the word I used. I said I'm frustrated a lot of times um, by worldliness in the church. I'm frustrated by poor theology on Facebook. Um, <laughs> I did say that, actually. Um, but uh, I, I didn't have the heart to say it was some of them that was putting it on Facebook. I just kept it real generic. But um, there's frustration. There's that discouragement that I'm I'm preaching the message and preaching the message and preaching the message, but it doesn't seem to be doing anything because fundamentally we can't do it, and it is not my responsibility to drag you to spiritual maturity, kicking and screaming. It doesn't work that way. Just as God says, I. Have brought my son, and my son came, he died for you, rose again the third day, and, and, and here's my gift, here's my offer to you. He doesn't kick you and pull you and grab you by the hair and drag you to salvation. He is, it's an open invitation, and he waits. And if you want to reject him and his offer, you have that right to do so, and, but you also should understand that if you exercise that right, that the result will be eternal judgment. You've chosen for that. If you receive that gift by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, uh, and surrender our will to God's will, and that's essentially what it means to receive Christ, is it's not just I want you to take away my sin, but I want you to become my Lord, my master. I'm going to follow you. God doesn't drag you anyone into the kingdom of heaven. And so it is certain that there's not a pastor on earth that can drag his people to spiritual maturity. You must choose each day. Am I going to glorify God or am I going to live for myself today? Every day you have to make that choice as a believer. I can provide you some tools. I can provide you some information. I can, 
I can keep you accountable. I can, I can try to do a lot of things. But if, if I come to a thinking that it is my job to make you mature, then guess what? I'm going to walk out of here discouraged every single week. But if it's my job to be a messenger for Christ and you're an active participant and not a passive recipient of my ministry of teaching God's word, then I can continue, maybe frustrated, maybe I'd like to kick you around a little bit sometimes, slap you upside the head, but uh, fundamentally I give you to God and say, well, the Holy Spirit is not going to force you. Well, you're commanded to walk in the Spirit. I see no evidence that you're going to be kidnapped by the Spirit. God will not violate that, that He is instilled in man. So, what's the conclusion, verse 7, regarding this role? The guy that plants, he's not anything. Guy waters, he's not anything. Anyone can do that work. <laughs> That's kind of humbling for us, isn't it? Anyone can do that work. God can use anybody to do that work. Sometimes I think seven-year-old kids are better planters than adults when it comes to the gospel. But God who gives the increase, he is something. That's who we glory in. So, if the purpose is to glorify God, how do we evaluate that minister? We look at the message and the motives. Those two aspects. Not the methodology and not the response. We're not going to evaluate our preacher teachers based upon, well, you know, I don't know. We have, I don't know if we've got enough people saved or baptized in the last year. I'm not sure that we're big enough. I'm not sure we're. And if that's how you evaluate a preacher teacher, um, I would share with you: you have the wisdom of men, because you somehow think that a preacher is able to drag people into the heaven, into the kingdom of heaven, and drag them to maturity. Uh, and by the way, your evaluation based upon that of Paul. Um, was that he is an utter failure and not to be followed. Because he couldn't get these Corinthians to mature. And he was there three years. And writes them at least three letters that we know of. So what is the measure of the ministry? What is the measure of these men? Um, And this is what Paul wants to invest in. He who plants and he who waters are one. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. What is that labor? It is not to drag you into maturity. It is to build. Not a building, but I would contend a biblical teaching, a biblical theology. It says that uh, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he 
builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we have Paul, and this is Paul's ministry. He understands his ministry. He understands its limitations. He understands its extent. He wants his his calling of God is to go to the nations and to get the gospel out as quickly as possible. If you read through some of his letters, you will find that is one of his prayer requests that he sends to churches, church after church. Please pray for me that the gospel may go forth with great speed. He understood his job was to penetrate the Roman Empire as quickly as possible with the gospel. And so he didn't spend lengthy periods of time anywhere. Uh, Ephesus is probably the place he stayed the longest. Corinth, he stayed there sometime for some time uh, until really he slowed down and, and the Roman government kind of decided his length of stay uh, later on in his life based upon his prison time. But uh, that, he understood that. And he says, I, I, that was my job to lay out that Jesus Christ everywhere, that foundation. And now along comes men like Apollos, and even like Timothy and Titus and others that Paul, Erastus, and, and these men that, that Paul uh, had uh, following him, and, and he would leave them behind. So he'd start this church, he'd lay the foundation, Jesus Christ, you need to know him, he died for you, he, and is him that is our master, our servant, he's the son of God, uh, God incarnate, and uh, the only way of salvation, and, and laid that whole foundation of what it means to be a believer, he then would leave behind one of these men that were traveling with him. He'd leave behind a Timothy, leave behind a, a Titus. Sometimes there'd be an Aquila and Priscilla there. There's Apollos. There's, there's these others he leaves there that then train. And then they come and report to Paul. And so he gets word from Timothy or Titus regarding this church or that church, wherever he leaves them. And their job is to build on that foundation. And this is their work to view that the, first of all, we are all fellow workers. Verse nine, we are all fellow workers. So it's not just one guy or one kind of guy doing the work, but rather we are all to be engaged in this. Um, and he talks about them being a field because he just got done referencing this planting and watering, but now he's going to transition to a second illustration that is a building. You're the building. God wants to do something in your life. As a community, not just as an individual, but as a community of believers, God wants to do something. Well, what is it that we're building? We're building maturity. And this is what Ephesians comes out and says that, why does God give us pastors and teachers? Well, He gives us pastors and teachers to... Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Let me listen to that very carefully. He gives pastors and teachers to equip who? The saints. Who is that? The church. To give you the tools. That's what it means. To equip you to do the work of the ministry. You say, wait a minute. I thought the work of the ministry was your job. You're the pastor. My job is to equip you to do the work. I'm just a tool man. I'm here to sharpen your axes and, and uh, uh, fix your hammers and, and uh, whatever other 
tools you need to do the work of the ministry. The idea that we have these hired guns that do all the work and we are the passive part of it is foreign to God's word. Pastors and teachers are here to equip God's people, the church, to do the work. Whether it's a field or a building, uh, consider it. I plant, Apollos waters it, okay? But somewhere in the soil, you are the field. We want life to spring there. And the soil, if we want to jump to another illustration of Christ, is your heart, is your life. The work has to go on there. Uh, we can provide you the tools. We can provide you the, the means. We can provide you the, the, the uh, elements that you need. to. But ultimately, you have to receive the seed. You have to let those roots take hold in your heart. You have to be obedient to them. You have to uh, see God working your life to bring forth this abundant life that he calls us to, this, this super-conquering life that he describes for us, and then bear fruit. Fruit that remains. And mature Christ, maturing Christians are fruit-bearing Christians. And if there's no fruitfulness in your life, there's no maturity going on. And you have to back up and look at this and say, maybe I've been resistant to just receiving good instruction. Maybe I've had the same pride and arrogant issues, arrogance issues that, that the Corinthians have had that I stake claim to a man's teaching or to a theology, but it doesn't really bring anything, any lifeness to my body, no fruitfulness to my life, because it's just a, a thing I arrogantly spout off instead of humbly live. And good theology, biblical theology, you humbly live. You do not arrogantly spout off. You can write that down. Hold me to it. Biblical theology, you humbly live. You do not arrogantly spout off. You want to know the difference between good theology and bad theology? There it is. You humbly live it. That's true of Christ as well as everything we develop from there on into maturity. And so by God's grace, Paul did his part. And uh, you might think this is kind of an arrogant statement to say, as a wise master builder, he's comparing as an experienced contractor would come in, a great carpenter would come in, and or a great uh, mason would come in and, and lay that foundation. Um, so I've done. I, I did the work. I didn't do it poorly. You know, the fact that you're immature isn't because I did a poor job. It's because you didn't receive the work sufficiently. You weren't, re- you weren't responding to it with obedience. Apollos comes along. He does great work. And a lot of people think that Apollos was the writer of Hebrews. Uh, whatever it is, we know that he was, Paul wasn't really eloquent, um, but Apollos was eloquent. Okay, I mean, he gets people's attention. This guy was out there for probably about 14, 15 years preaching John the Baptist's message. Think about that. And successfully preaching it. 
He hadn't heard about Jesus. He was somehow in in Israel during the time of of John the Baptist. Somehow he got out of Israel before Christ shows up on the scene. He was going around, think about this, for all those years successfully preaching the message of John the Baptist, which says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was doing that, and it got people's attention. Aquila and Priscilla heard that and said, wow, we need this guy. He needs to hear the rest of the story. And they pull him aside. That's two laymen in the church who weren't passive. We heard, they heard this guy out in the marketplace. Preacher said, man, you know, let's tell him the rest of the story. He's got the message right as far as he knows it. And they tell him all about Jesus. And now he becomes this powerful servant of God, powerful communicator of truth. And he comes in behind Paul in Corinth. And uh, they had the advantage of an apostle starting the thing and a guy like Apollos who is not inexperienced at all coming in behind him to teach him and they still weren't mature because they didn't humbly accept it. They just wanted to something they could arrogantly spout off. So Paul says, listen, we laid a foundation and now uh, another built on it. And here's verse at the end of verse 10. Is that important instruction for me tonight, today? And for you, because you're not passive. You're active in this process too. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. When you hear God's word say, take heed or watch out, um, get your, let, let it get your attention. God's word uses this frequently, and it's hey, that's that's a verbal way of slapping you to wake you up. Take heed, wake up. How you do your job is important, and it does matter, and God does care. And that's why we seek to be very careful in the handling of God's word. And I've had many, many conversations with people who uh, who are out here. <laughs> Theologically, and, and and I've engaged them. They've come to our church. They visit, and, and I go and visit them. And they're like, I was like, well, no, I'm not going to get involved in that because I just don't see that it, it it it's violating too many of scriptural principles, and and uh, and so I'm not going there. And I've had people visit from this other perspective, this uh, uh, way out here on the other end of the spectrum, uh, theologically, and they want us to become that. And I said, no, I. I that's just, God calls us to this biblical balance. And biblical balance is hard to achieve and it takes a lot of work to maintain because it's real easy to get caught up in single-issue theology. And to be truly balanced it takes an enormous amount of work. And so Paul says, take heed. And I think this is what he's telling Timothy when he says, listen, Take heed to your ministry. Take heed to yourself. Watch out. You gotta be faithful and mature in your communication of God's truth, the whole truth to your flock. Be a faithful minister of the gospel. And so this command to take heed, watch out what you're building on this foundation. And it does matter. 
And there's a group out there that says, just got to love Jesus. Just got to love Jesus. Just got to love Jesus. Just got to love. That's all we should be worrying about in churches is loving Jesus. And they're wrong. Because if that were the case, our Bible only needed to be about three pages. Do you see what Paul's saying? I laid a foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And we build on it. As a Christian, it, the, the idea that I'm going to accept Christ as my Savior, I got, I got uh, hell insurance now, I get, uh, insurance to get out of hell and so now I'm just going to live the way I want. Um, you're in trouble because you didn't get Jesus. You ever seen foundations that were laid and never built on? They become pretty worthless pretty fast. In Haiti, we laid the foundation last spring. And um, silly me, I kind of thought that people would you know, keep it ready for me when I got there in the fall to put the walls up and get there. And it was the most discouraging thing. I show up the very first day. I'm still got, I spent the night in the Miami airport. I'm, I've got time zone changes. I've got climate changes. I'm there. I'm kind of blurry eyed and they show up at the property and it's, and uh, I still got luggage with me and we're just, and I step out and I'm like, where's the foundation? Totally overgrown. I think that represents a lot of Christians today. That there's just no evidence that there is a foundation out there somewhere because we just let it overgrow. And God calls us to maturity, and that means we've got to build on it. You know, how do we build? We need to build a godly, biblical theology that says there's more to this Christian living than just loving Jesus. There's truth, and that truth is expansive, and there's truth, and it's not that, that I'm gonna build, I'm gonna walk away from the foundation and start building. No, it is all born out of this one Jesus Christ. Who is He? And, and the, and the wonder of it all, of, of what He has accomplished, and, and how it is a Occurred and, and what it demands of us and what is entailed in this whole thing uh, called fo- being a disciple of Jesus Christ. What is it all? And as we build and mature, suddenly out of it, it is it, we're above grade. <laughs> we're above grade, and now something's evident. And if all you're doing is loving Jesus, and that's it, and you've got that foundation, and you've not built anything on it, there's no evidence in your life, and it is easily overgrown. And easily missed. God says we need to build on it. And not just me, the pastor, needs to build on it, but all of us. And it says we got to be careful. And there's, you can build on it, gold, silver, price stone, wood, hay, and straw. You, you choose what you're going to build on that. Um, but recognize that whatever you choose to build on your foundation is going to be tested by God in the day. Not today, in the day. There's come a day of accounting that we've talked about before. Right? That that day of accounting comes that we're going to have an audit of our records. And we're going to have to show up before God and say, I have the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he's going to say, great, I, that praise God. And now let me get the torch out. And there goes the flamethrower all over all your life. And you know, 
and kind of like the big bad wolf that showed up that day, and you're gone. Swept right off your foundation. Oh, you got into heaven. But Paul says, but you smell smoke. Because you just didn't put anything valuable on top of there. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. All the while saying, I'm a Paul. I'm a Peter. I'm a, I'm a, a, a Apollos. I'm a Jesus. Well, none of that was substantive because it was all to feed their own pride. And in the day of judgment, when we have that audit, that spiritual audit before God, that's going to be gone. It's not going to be purified. It's not going to be, uh, it's going to be purged. You realize that hay, wood, hay, and straw will simply be purged, whereas gold, silver, and precious stones will be purified with fire. God says, you're going to be answering, not to me. You're not answering to the pastor. You're not answering to the planter, to the water. You're not answering to us. And you're not answering today. You're not answering tomorrow. You're answering on that day. And so we need to get our minds out of the here and now and start thinking, i got an audit coming. I guess I should get my books in order. Today is the day to start that process. I'm saying, I'm going to build something worthwhile on this foundation of Christ in my life. And as we engage ourselves in doing that together, that building becomes to God's glory. It'll be something that is evident to the world. They will see it because it will raise out of the grade of this muddy earth and it will start to rise above it. And it'll be something that we can point to and say, look, there it is. There's a building of God, a Christian. A church. Not from 86th Street looking at this building, but from the people you're going to go work with and live next door to this week. Are they going to see a building of God? I can give you the tools. I think in our church you're receiving the tools in our in our teaching ministries and our and our services, our studies, our prayer times. We're trying to give you the tools. We cannot drag you to maturity. You must participate by humbling yourself to his truth and saying, I don't like it, but it's the truth, and I guess it's got authority. I'm going to obey it. And as that occurs, you will be quickly getting head and shoulders above the Corinthians. You'll be building on the foundation that Christ has laid in your life.